Take our Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Proverbs, the 25th chapter, uh, 28th chapter. Proverbs 28. And verse 25. Many preachers love this verse. Second part of it. An arrogant man stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. Let's pray. Our Father in God, I thank you and praise you for this day together that we've had in worship. We thank you and praise you for the richness of your word, for the practicality that it has also in our lives. And uh, Father, we thank you and praise you that as we are dealing with this subject of trust, that Father, we know that we can trust in you. And Father, we need the strength from you in order to obey. And Father, we pray tonight as we come to some other passages and Proverbs dealing with the subject, that you'd help us to get a good grasp on it and to be able to indeed apply it, uh, not just tonight, but throughout the week and in the days ahead. So we thank you for the word, and we thank you for this time together, and pray these things in our Savior's name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, Proverbs. Isn't that a great heading? I purposely left it just the way it was in the um, English there for us. Trusting God brings prosperity. End of message. You want to have your everything you ever wanted? You want to just call on God and get everything you want? There it is. He's going to bring prosperity, so we have no worries, no problems, no trials, no tribulations. Message is over. Let's go home. Sound good? Sounds good. <laughs> okay, where are we? Uh, well, we're in the first area of practical wisdom that we're trying to deal with you, and I mentioned last week as we got us caught up uh, that we're dealing with the spiritual life or the importance of paying attention to our spiritual walk. So that's what we're dealing with. Just some proverbs that help us indeed in our spiritual walk and how to pay attention in those areas. And we're dealing in the first area of that with trust. That is trusting specifically God. We know that we ought to trust God. We, we believe that. We hear that. And, but how does that work itself out in a practical way? Let me remind us, uh, we've learned this many times, that when we're talking about trusting God, we are not talking about blind faith. Okay? We're not just talking about something like, I trust God up there somewhere to do something sometime for me, somehow, uh, and that type of thing. But I don't know what I'm trusting. I'm just trusting God. That is a blind faith, and that's not what the scriptures call for. Uh, just trust God, and he'll bless me, and, and that's it, because of who he is. Well, rather than that, we learned last week as we even talked about trust, it is having a confidence, it is having a commitment to something, and it is having a reliance upon something. What is that? Well, it's a commitment to, it's a confidence in, it's a reliance upon First of all, the character of God, and secondly, that which, we, that which he has said. So it's not blind. It's based upon what he's revealed, and it's based upon what he's revealed about his own character, and based upon his personhood, and it's all based upon what 
he has told us in his word. So we're not trusting blindly. We trust in what he says, and that's where it starts. And last week, we only dealt with the first one out of Proverbs chapter 3. I'll summarize it for you this way, that we ought to trust God when our understanding is lacking. We may have revelation from God, but our understanding is lacking. In that famous passage that we know in chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, which was in the heart of it, that we're to trust uh, in the Lord with all our heart, we're not to lean in our own understanding. In every way in life we're to acknowledge him, he will direct our paths. So we may see what God says and still not understand how it can work out, but we're not doing this blindly. We're trusting in what God says in many areas, practical areas of life, and we depend upon that, and we don't rely upon what we would reason or we would think, whether that be in the creation of the world, whether that be in the plan of salvation, whether that be in marital relationships, whether that would be in parenting, whether that would be in work-related situations or social. When God's given us instruction, we might not understand, for example, the practicality of praying for our leadership, meaning presidents and governors, when they're not what they should be. But God tells us to pray for them anyway. And we're not to lean on our own understanding and that we're to do that. So we're to trust God, when our understanding may not be fully there, even though we see what his word says. Well, the second one, let me give it to you, and then we're going to explain, really, is that what this verse means, that we just trust God? And, and sometimes you hear preachers say that. You just trust in the Lord, and you just he'll fill your bonds, and, and so forth. Well, what is this dealing with in Proverbs? Well, the second area I'm going to give you in trust is this, and here's what I would give you. Trust God for all circumstances. And I really see, think we'll see that that's what this is dealing with. Trust him for all your circumstances. What does it mean? Well, let's look at the verse and let's talk about it a little bit tonight. It says, the arrogant man stirs up strife. What do you mean, the arrogant man? That comes from the word that means to be wide of throat, literally. It means to be wide of throat. What does that mean? It means to have a wide appetite. What does that mean? We're hungry tonight and that's what we're talking about? No. What that word boils down to, and I don't know honestly, though I've looked at it and seen how they got to arrogant, I still don't know why they put that word in there. Because it means to be greedy. That's what it's dealing with. When it's dealing with my wide mouth and when it's dealing with a wide appetite, it's a person that wants more and more and more. That's really what it is. When it's talking about arrogant in this state, that's what this idea is. That they, in their circumstances, they're not content. And you're going to hear me come back to that word tonight. They're not content with anything. They're not content with who they are. They're not content with their position in life. They're not content with their job. They're not content with their possessions. They're not content with anything. What they want is more to come in. And they're just not satisfied. Now, I will say already at this stage, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't strive to go ahead in life. You'll hear more about that in a second and, and, and at all. But what happens is this person who is wide-mouthed is what it's saying, 
He wants more and more and more. And the result of that is that he stirs up strife. What does that mean? He's disruptive. He's destructive. And a person, if you look at a person who is not content and is not satisfied, that's exactly what they do. They stir up problems. They're complaining all the time. And they cause all kinds of difficulty. And that's what it says. The arrogant man, when it says he stirs up strife, the one who is just not satisfied with his lot in life or content with the things that he has is a person literally with an evil eye. If you look across to verse 22, it says a man with an evil eye hastens after wealth. It's the same concept there is really what we're looking at here in a sense. He's got an evil eye and he's just, he's a hastening. It doesn't matter how he gets wealth. He complains and he wants and he wants and he wants and he wants and the mouth and the throat is never satisfied. And so he stirs up strife. And in contrast to that in this verse, you see, and that's where it comes. But he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. Uh, now, many of you probably have a footnote on this anyway. But literally, what that means, does anyone know? You got a footnote there? Means to be what? Made fat. <laughs> it means to be made fat. The one that trusts in the Lord... He will be made fat. If you look at chapter 11 for one second, <clears throat> verse 25. <clears throat> so what is it teaching here? We'll come back to that. First, you need to understand the verse. 11.25. The generous man, it's the same word here, will be prosperous. And he who waters will himself be watered. And that's really the principle, same principle that we're dealing with here when it's talking about trust. The one who's generous is the one who will be prosperous or the one will be made fat. And we're not talking about physical fatness here. That's the sense of what it means by prosperity. And the idea here is that the one who is content and looks to God and follows his ways, what does that mean? It even gets into the concept of being an honest hard worker. It means one who is to help others. It means just as it says in chapter 11. It means to be a generous person. And that is a person that trusts God. God's method is generosity. We ought to be generous people. We ought to be people that are givers, not people that are just takers. We're not in this world to get and to accumulate. And uh, I'm sure it is true with you. It is absolutely amazing. The, the longer you live, the longer you're married, the more children you have, the more junk you collect. I have an attic full of it. Ed McNeil saw it recently. <laughs> Amen. <There it> is. <laughs> Ed, and I, <laughs> Ed and I were working on a project together, and we both ended up talking about all the junk that we accumulate over the years. It's true. Or some people have it in a cellar or a garage or whatever. Right? And, and that's what happens. But we are not to be depending upon others. We're not to be even depending upon our circumstances, but our dependence is upon God. And that's what it's really talking about in chapter 28 in verse 25. Rather than being the one with an open mouth, if you will, or the greedy person that wants stuff and is always talking and getting and, and stirring up problems and difficulties over that, we, rather than that, are to be a person that trusts in the Lord, that counts on the Lord, 
that regardless of circumstances, the other one is when we didn't have an understanding. Now we're talking about in your circumstances, and God will prosper you. God will prosper you. That is, he will bless you. And again, let me refer to this. It doesn't mean that you are not to try to get ahead in life. That's not what he's talking about. God gives us the ability to earn wages, and he gives us the ability to be rich, it even says in Scripture. And he provides for that. There is nothing wrong with that. In fact, he tells us to be hard workers, and that's a good thing if the advancement. But if the advancement's not there and you have a particular lot in life, then what? You have to be content in those circumstances and depend upon God, and God will bless your life. It doesn't mean that you're going to get more and more, even when it talks about filling your bonds or it says there, as the Lord's, if you're generous, the Lord will, he will provide for you. And he will meet your need and your circumstances. It is really the equivalent of, turn with me in the New Testament, to Philippians chapter 4. Just so we understand it. So we need to trust God. And that is not an easy thing to do. It is not easy for us to trust God when our circumstances are not good. We want to say we're trusting the Lord when everything's going fine. But I think Paul gave us a pretty good picture of really what this proverb is trying to teach us. And we find it in Proverbs chapter 4, verses 10 through 14. He says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Let me give you, I, I need to be true to the text in this sense. Some may not be familiar with it. Paul's going to talk to them. This church supplied some of the needs for Paul. They wanted to supply some of the needs, even financially, apparently, for Paul. And they were reaching out to him, and they, they just didn't have it. And they were poor. And, and yet they tried to reach out, and they now had another opportunity, and they were going to try to meet Paul's needs. So Paul addresses this, long and short of it, and he says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, now that at last you have revived your concern for me. They were concerned for Paul in meeting his needs. Indeed, you were concerned, but you lacked the opportunity. There just wasn't the occasion to help him, you know, the ability. And says, not that I speak of want. We've heard Ken Myers use this passage. Not that I speak of want, for I've learned, now notice this, to be content in whatever circumstances I am. And I really believe that's what Proverbs 28, 25 is teaching. That we had to trust the Lord in all of our circumstances. That's what he's looking for. And then he explains it further. He says, I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to get along or to live in prosperity. See, there's nothing wrong with prosperity. There's nothing wrong with humble means. And regardless of what society may think, regardless of what nations may profess, regardless of even where this nation may be going, and our concept of being fair and everybody having the same, that is not reality in life, folks. Some prosper more than others. And, not, and life is not fair. You will not necessarily face the same things I will face. Or I will not face the same things you will face. Some people struggle with other things. Paul knew that experience. He knew what it was like to not have much. He knew what it was like to have an abundance. And then he says, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. And what was the secret? both of having abundance and suffering need. 
And he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's where his trust was in whatever the circumstance was. And I really believe this is the New Testament equivalent of what we're learning here, or talking about. In a practical sense, we talk about trusting God, but how about when those circumstances are difficult? How about when that job is lost? How about when we don't know how we're going to provide? How about when things are going well? And so forth. Uh, we're, not to be over, we're not to be proud about that, but we're to be looking to Lord, the Lord in all of those circumstances. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, New Testament. It's a challenge to us, if we're honest. And these aren't the only passages in the New Testament that deal with contentment. But in verse 8, it says, If you have food and covering with these, we shall be what? Content. Those who want to be rich and they fall into the temptations. And by the way, it's, it's not money. It's the love of money, verse 10. That's the root of all sorts and all kinds of evil and so on. That is not the way society looks at things today, to be content with the things that you have. We are living in a consumption-driven society. It's greed. In fact, is, is what, I don't even know if there still is a program, but there used to be a program called that, Greed. It was a game or something like that on TV. Greed, that's just the way it is. It's money, 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 money. And it's more money, and it's as quick as I can get money, and it's as much as I can get of money, and and it doesn't matter how I get the money, let's just get it, and, and so forth. That's the way society thinks, and it's me first, and it's me first. That's not God's way. God's way is looking out for others. God's way is generosity. God's way is to trust him and to be generous even in our most difficult circumstances and to provide for others. So when we go back to Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 25, that's what it's dealing with. Rather than being like the one who's got the... Uh, situation where it's greed and more and more and more and that results in strife we ought to be resting in peace where in the Lord and he will prosper that person will prosper you'll be prospering how in the fact that you're being blessed by God because you're doing what's right you may be blessed in this world you may not be blessed in this world what this doesn't mean in verse 25 is that you won't have trials or that you're just guaranteed that you're, you know, send me 10 bucks and the Lord will bless you tenfold and you'll end up looking for $100. Not necessarily. But you'll be blessed in obeying God. There are all kinds of people who walked in God, walked with God and trusted God and they faced trials. I just jotted down a few that I know you'll be familiar with. How about Joseph? In the Old Testament, abundantly blessed by God, he had all kinds of trials. So when, when we look at this verse, it doesn't mean that if I'm trusting in the Lord, I'm not going to have trials or tribulations. Jeremiah, he's known as the weeping prophet. What a picture that is. I don't know how he got to the point he wanted to quit. He couldn't do it, but he wanted to quit because everybody was against him. And yet he was trusting God. How about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Many of you know that story, and you talk to the kids. That is definitely one that fits this passage. Why? Because they did not know what the results would be. From their own lips, they said it. They said, whether or not we'll live or we won't live, we don't know. One thing I do know, I can trust in God. 
and, and God took care of them in the situation. Daniel, Paul was another one. And we just looked at an example with the Apostle Paul. But he went through many trials and tribulations in his life, and he was a man that walked with God and trusted God. Don't look at the, the ones, especially in English, or it doesn't matter whether it's even in Hebrew or Greek. The terms that come out as prosperity as if that doesn't, I'm not going to have any more trials. Oftentimes, trials don't begin till you trust in Christ. And then what happens is a lot of things come along. So it's not dealing with eliminating trials. And Stephen was another one. In fact, he lost his life. And in some cases, that happens. As you're walking with God, and, and God allows a circumstance to be such that that may be the end of your life in that circumstance. Are you trusting God in that circumstance? He won't deliver you from that circumstance, but you'll be blessed. You will have pleased God. And certainly, you will have a blessing of prosperity in, in uh, God's uh, heavenly uh, throne room without question. So it doesn't mean that you're not going to have uh, any trials. It doesn't mean that you're going to have everything you wanted. What the verse is dealing with is if I really want to have prosperity in my life and be blessed by the Lord and see God working in my life, what I want to do is trust in him regardless of the circumstances. Regardless of the circumstances. Next one. Let me give you another one. Another one in Proverbs in the area of trusting. I'll give it to you this way by way of title again might sound a little odd to you at first, but trust God with your speech. Trust God. First one was trust God when you're lacking in understanding. And again, you know what his word says, but you just don't see how it fits, and you don't know how if you apply that verse the right way in its context that it's going to work out. You trust God for it. You trust God no matter what the circumstances are, when you're up, when you're down, and so forth, because you don't live in circumstances, you live by walking with God. And now a third one is, the, the Proverbs call us to trust in God even with our speech. It's kind of a play on words in this section, but let's go back to Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16. In Proverbs 16, verses 20 through 20. Four. One of the biggest battles in our life is our mouth. Maybe you don't have a problem with that. Amen? You don't have a problem with it? <laughs> I do. We do. And you know what? When you say something, you can't take it back. It's gone. Proverbs 16. I'm going to read verses 20 to 24. 20 to 24. And you really... We could read verse 20, but the, the, this is one of those Proverbs that keeps building verse on verse. Verse 20, he who gives attention to the word will find good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. There it is, trust, and again, it's talking about attention to the word. But if you look at the rest of the proverb, he says, a wise and hard will be called understanding, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Understanding is a fountain of life to the one who has it, but the discipline of fools is folly. The heart of the wise instructs his mouth and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, 
and healing to the bones, it says. And it's interesting to read on, um, I've read a, several expositions on, on this particular passage, and I think it is a play on words. We ought to trust God's word, certainly, and I do think where it says giving attention to the word, that that is the intention, first of all, that we're to give attention to what God's word is, and, but it will result, if we are doing that, in proper speech, in pleasant words, in words that will be edifying, in words that will build up, in words that will instruct. And that's trusting the Lord, that that is to be the type of speech. The tongue is a very difficult thing to control, even as it says there. It says uh, in the passage, sweetness of speech increases. and, and uh, there's discipline. The heart in, needs to instruct the mouth, the wise heart, verse 23. So as we learn God's word and we're trusting in his God wor God's word, it also should affect our life. Um, it will affect our mouth. Um, let's go to James chapter 3, see a New Testament principle on that one. I'm going to go to two passages on this. Let's go to James chapter 3. How many of us speak before we think? How many of us do what we're about to read we shouldn't do? James chapter 3. Let not many of you become teachers. And it is directed toward teachers. Why? Especially teachers because they're always using their mouth and that's what I'm doing now. The pulpit, for example, becomes a big danger. To stand up here, it is very easy to use words wrong and to say things that are wrong. Uh, any one of us that are teaching, even in parenting and so forth. But he says, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren. Why? Knowing that such will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. So we're able to bridle our tongue and use our tongue in a godly fashion. He says, now if we put bits into the hosses' mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. We are very familiar with that. Look at the ships also. We're familiar with this application or illustration. Though they are so great, they are driven by small winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. Then he says, so also is the tongue a small part of our body, which it is, and yet it boasts great things. Talk about arrogance. Then notice this. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a very word, world excuse me, of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. How many times have we used our, our voice, our lips, our speech to cause disruption even in the body of Christ? Maybe to start a rumor. Maybe to cause a, the detriment of somebody's testimony. Or how about this one? Let's go on. For every species of beasts and birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea, it's tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. 
It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. And here's verse 9. With it we bless our Lord and Father. How many of us don't like to, uh, isn't it true, we like to pray to God, we like to praise his name, give testimony to his name. Do you ever fall into the last part of this verse? And with it we curse men. But then he says this, who have been made in the likeness of God. You know, we're to have respect for men, we're to have respect for God's creatures, even if we don't agree with them. <clears throat> we're to be careful how we use our mouth, that's what it's teaching us. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, and he says very simply, my brethren, these things ought not so to be, ought to be this way. Does a fountain send out the same opening, fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, and a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. And the whole point of the matter in James is the control of the tongue again. And what he's saying in that passage of Proverbs again, our trust is to trust in God's word, but also that it might affect our own speech, and we trust him that our speech should be edifying. Ephesians chapter 4 puts it even clearer. Let's look there. Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 forward. Let me just read the beginning. Let no unwholesome, literally that word is rotten, corrupt, uh, garbage, that type of thing. That's what it's really dealing with. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. That bring any conviction? It does to me. But only such a word as is good for edification? Watch this. What do you mean by that? Good for building up. According to the need, the need of the moment. What does a person need? Sometimes a person needs that uplifting and through our lips and through our speech. And you say again, what's this got to do with trusting in God? Trusting with God even for our speech, the play on words back there. We trust him for his word. It's reliable. It's always uplifting. Even when he has to confront with discipline, it's always got the best in mind. And it should affect our speech, and that's what it was in the rest of that proverb. And then he goes on right here in, our, in the context. So that it will give grace to those who hear. Notice this, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of, uh, to the day of redemption. And it's my personal belief that in the context of this, verse 31 explains how you grieve the Holy Spirit. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. It's got to do with our mouth. It's got to do with our speech. And so our speech should be to build up people. Our speech should be to encourage people. Our speech should be that which is profitable. And so back in the proverb, back in Proverbs chapter 16, we're to give attention to God's word. We'll find good by doing that. We'll, in many different ways, I didn't expand on that. And blessed is the one who trusts. Well, it'll be pleasing. And then he goes on, the wise heart will have sweet speech, verse 21. And that'll increase persuasiveness. Even 
How do we turn away the wrath of sometimes an individual? A uh, what does it say with our answer? Uh, we're to be quick to hear. Uh, help me out. Slow to speak. What was the first part? Swift to hear. Come on. Slow to speak and slow to wrath. That's what it is. Okay. But our speech, again, uh, can affect others. And uh, a soft answer in Proverbs turns away wrath. And that's uh, chapter 15, right nearby. A gentle answer. Let's turn there. In Proverbs 15, verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. That's practical, not, uh, practical wisdom from God's word. The way we use our speech. Sometimes somebody comes at you and they're ready to attack you. They're ready to charge you with certain things. And sometimes you can calm the whole situation down. How? By the words that you use and the way you use the words. So you can discipline someone, uh, even a child. You can rebuke a person. You can correct a person. You can disagree with a person, but you can do it in a way in which a speech should be God-honoring uh, and trust the Lord even for that. One more before we close uh, with trusting. And it's uh, trusting the Lord in our, I put it this way, in our ethics. In our ethics. Proverbs 29. Proverbs 29. It is amazing to me, even among pastors, um, sometimes the ethics that are not followed through with, or the way Christians are with one another. And by the way, that comes even in the area of gossip and so forth. Rather than checking things out or uh, following God's principles, uh, it's not done. But Proverbs 29, verses 22 to 27. I'm going to read the whole thing. It says, And an angry man stirs up strife, and a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. Man's pride will bring him low. The first part of that verse, verse 22, is dealing with a hot-headed man. Uh, you get the pride that comes up in verse 23, in verse 24. He who is a partner with a thief hates his own life. That's the unethical person. The type of person that has anger and pride and is hot-headed, it's going to lead, what, to unethical practices, and that's his partner's the thief. He hears the oath but tells nothing. The fear of man brings a snare. And right in the midst of that, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. It's dealing with ethical principles here, is the way I summarized it. Many seek the ruler's favor, but justice for man comes from the Lord. We need to leave that with the Lord. The unjust man is an abominate, is abominable. Uh, excuse me. The unjust man is abominable to the righteous, and he who is upright in the way is abominable to the wicked. And what is that? That's the same principle of calling good evil and evil good and twisting things. It's the same principle, again, where you get into transgressions because of tempers that take over. And that's what happens in verse 22. Or pride in verse 23. Or certainly a thief, meaning again ethical practices where he hates his own life uh, in a sense. And what are we to do? Even in situations like that, not steal, not let anger take over, not let our hot uh, 
head, a proud attitude take over, but we're to be trusting in the Lord. And even in his judgments toward others, oftentimes that happens toward others. And that's why, again, you have uh, the seeking of, of, of a ruler's favor and justice, but justice comes from God. We're not to deal unjustly. We're to trust in God for that. So what do we say by way of spiritual, practical um, instruction from the book of Proverbs tonight? We're to trust God. How? When we don't understand how things are going to work out. We're to trust God. How? In the circumstances of life. Trust him for what he says in his person. We can count on that. We're to trust in the Lord and his word and how it affects our speech, that it's to be used to build up. It's to be used, and it should have a changed life to it. And even in the ethics of dealing one with another, we could deal with a whole section on that alone. We're to continue to trust God. That's what the spiritual life is about. Even in the areas where it rubs us in life and people come out against us and we want to get back at them, <clears throat> leave it to the Lord. The Lord will take care of it. He's a just God. We can rely on that. When others hurt us, it's to get at them even with our mouth and to curse them and to pull them down. Don't do that. Pray for those of your enemies. Uplift them. That's God's instruction. Use words to edify. Give a soft answer that will turn away their wrath. That's practical. And that is walking spiritually, trusting God because that is his instruction. And no matter what comes along in circumstances, doesn't mean you won't have trials. It doesn't mean you're, you're going to have all the physical benefits here, but trust God in those circumstances. Don't be looking out of greed for more, more, and more. And if you trust God, the life will be blessed. And not only here, but certainly eternal rewards later in heaven. Let's close in a word of prayer for tonight. <clears throat> Father, I pray that you'd help us today, this week, to apply some of the things that we've seen from God's word. <clears throat> Lord, we know that we're to trust you. But Father, sometimes when it gets into areas where the circumstances are adverse, we allow circumstances to affect us and our trust becomes low. Sometimes when fear sets in, our trust becomes low. Sometimes when it comes to others and our own speech, rather than trust you and look to you, Father, indeed, again, uh, we use our speech wrongly and end up cursing men who are made in the image and likeness of God. Help us, Father, to see that a prosperous life, a life that's pleasing to you, a life that is blessed, is one that trusts you in circumstances, with our lips, with our ethics as we go through life. And help us, Lord, to continue to rely on what you've revealed in the word of God. We can count on it. Because the word of God is pure, it's true, and uh, Father, uh, it's good. And we can trust in your goodness and the character of you and your word. Guide us now throughout the remainder of the week. Help us, Lord, to live for the Lord Jesus Christ and to go from here with the gospel, telling others of the good news. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.